0: Hello, and welcome to day three of the CSF's coverage of EULAR 2020. My name is Professor Chris Edwards, and I'm delighted to present the key abstracts presented today at the EULAR eCongress. We've seen some great data on cytokine signaling throughout EULAR so so far, and today has provided some further really interesting data in new areas, and that includes juvenile idiopathic arthritis treatment with tofacitinib and lupus treatment with a BTK inhibitor. More of that uh, to come. In today's highlights we'll be reviewing some of the oral presentations from Friday's schedule and the first is a presentation from Daphne Gladman and colleagues discussing filgotinib for the treatment of severe psoriatic arthritis. So this takes data from the Equator study and this was looking at patients with moderate to severe psoriatic arthritis treated with filgotinib but this was trying to look to understand how the underlying pathology, the underlying immunological changes in psoriatic arthritis may be related to disease activity measures. And to do that, they looked at a number of circulating uh, biomarkers that could be measured. And those included biomarkers for pro-inflammatory cytokines, chemokines, adhesion molecules, and also markers of matrix remodeling. They looked at a number of different things and found results which included that a number of different biomarkers of these sorts were associated with the measures of psoriatic arthritis. They managed to look and see that there were certain clusters that were based on different rates, speed, and magnitude of treatment responses. And it was also seen that filgotinib significantly decreased biomarkers that were associated with psoriatic disease activity. So in summary, filgotinib was able to reduce a number of pro-inflammatory cytokines. But for me even more interesting than seeing the biomarkers is, is how we use that to try and understand the relationship with disease activity and also to understand more about the underlying pathology of psoriatic arthritis. The next is an oral presentation on a different disease area. And this is lupus, SLE. And for people who look after lupus, there have been many years of difficulty in trying to find studies that demonstrated efficacy of a number of different therapies. So it's interesting to look at a different form of therapy. And in this case, it's a Bruton's tyrosine kinase inhibitor, a BTK inhibitor called phenobrutinib. And this was looked at in moderate and severe SLE in a phase two study. Patients were randomized uh, into uh, placebo and treatment arms and then they were uh, looked at over a period of time to look at treatment response. And what was used was an SRI-4. That's an SLE responder index, which is a composite measure of a number of different scores and a physician's global assessment as well. Now in terms of percentage improvement there was more improvement at 48 weeks in the patients that received both doses of fenabrutinib but this didn't quite meet statistical significance there were some other areas of hope though in other measures such as a reduction in uh, double stranded dna antibodies safety uh, looked fairly good between fenabrutinib and placebo although there were some more serious adverse events with the higher dose of fenabrutinib so in summary acceptable safety profile fail to meet a primary endpoint but don't forget this is a phase two study and I think as a result of some of the subgroup analyses in here and postdoc analysis after the event uh, I, I think there's more to hear from this particular BTK inhibitor. Okay so the next presentation is one about safety and it's safety in relation to tofacitinib and baricitinib. And in particular, it's looking at the likelihood of thromboembolic events, and more importantly, trying to predict those patients who are most likely to have problems with thromboembolism when started on a JAK inhibitor. Now, your view on this will probably depend on whether you're an optimist or a pessimist, but having markers that allow us to try to predict which individuals are most likely to respond would be a useful thing. So what did this study show? Well, it looked at a WHO global database called Vigibase, and it took a cut in April of 2019. And it found that for both tofacitinib and baricitinib, those who had thromboembolic events were most likely to be older. And those individuals also were more likely to be on prothrombotic medication, such as oral contraceptive pills, or they had other indicators of thromboembolic risk, such as being on uh, anticoagulants. So this helps us to try and categorize our patients into those that might be at more risk for thromboembolism and just reminds us to keep an eye out for these risk factors in individuals that we're starting on JAK inhibitors. I'm now going to talk about another study. It's a study of tofacitinib, so a JAK inhibitor, but in a different disease area and in particular polyarticular juvenile idiopathic arthritis and it's interesting to see JAK inhibitors being used in patients uh, from this particular population. It's also interesting to look at this particular study because not only is it in a juvenile population but it also uses a study design which is less common in adult studies and that's a design of withdrawal uh, as a method of assessing uh, efficacy through the likelihood of flare that occurs afterwards. So I'll talk you through this uh, a little bit. So there are two phases to the study. The first, patients with polyarticular JIA were started on tofacitinib. The dose was adjusted depending on their weight. And then they were followed for a period of time. And those that achieved an appropriate ACR response were then randomized to either withdraw treatment and go on to placebo or to continue with tofacitinib. And the key results showed that tofacitinib reduced the number of flares and reduced the speed of those flares coming on compared to placebo. And a number of other disease activity measures included uh, for juvenile idiopathic arthritis, including ACR measures and the child version of the HAC disability index, uh, along with the juvenile arthritis disease activity score, improved uh, in patients receiving tofacitinib over those with placebo. So this gives us some hope for the use of JAK inhibitors in the context of individuals with polyarticular juvenile idiopathic arthritis. And now on to the posters. As ever, the poster sessions provide a host of interesting data, and today was no exception. The poster sessions on prognosis and predictors of outcome in RA and RA non-biologic treatment and psoriatic arthritis all had a number of interesting posters for cytokine signaling. There are also papers in the scleroderma and paediatric sessions on JAK inhibitors but with so much data it's difficult to select a few to highlight. The first poster I'm going to talk to you about is one of Friday's posters 0026 and this is from the select compare study and as you'll remember this was the study of upadacitinib versus adalimumab so it's the head-to-head study but this study looked using proteomics identifying more than 180 different inflammation-related proteins and looking how these changed in respect to use of either upadacitinib or adalimumab. And the reason for doing this is to try and get an understanding as to whether the different mechanisms of action of a TNF inhibitor versus a JAK inhibitor might alter, might give a different signal within the underlying immune process that's going on in these diseases. So what were the results well upadacitinib and adalimumab inhibited a number of uh, protein biomarkers that were detected but there were some differences that were seen in particular upadacitinib preferentially inhibited uh, biomarkers associated with t cells whereas adalimumab preferentially inhibited protein associated with those are inflammatory macrophages there were some differences with each of the drugs in the different pathways that were involved or associated with disease response but there wasn't any one particular protein biomarker that was associated with uh, reductions in both drugs. So this gives us some information, it helps us to understand why there might be differences in efficacy between upadacitinib and adalimumab and get to the underlying mechanisms of disease and which pathways and which cells are likely to be important. So now we have some updated safety data on the next poster from baricitinib. It's always interesting to see as we get longer from the launch of particular drugs and we can see more and more personal data but also this sort of published data. This is by Genovese uh, and is showing data out to 8.4 years of follow-up for baricitinib. So what have they done? Well this is data that comes from nine completed randomized controlled trials and one ongoing long term extension study and this is friday poster 0123 there are almost 4000 patients included with more than 13000 years of patient follow up and the longest follow up is now eight almost eight and a half years so what did they see well over this period of time i think it was reassuring to see no new infectious signals, no new uh, adverse events that hadn't been seen in earlier time points. But it does help us to get an understanding of the sort of event rates over time for things like thromboembolic events in particular. As you might expect, expect when you get out to follow up of eight years plus, death incidents tended to increase, but this was for multiple different reasons and I think it's probably not drug related and more related to the length of the time the study has been going on. So I think reassuring data, safety data now to almost eight and a half years, uh, and this helps us with our confidence in using therapies like baricitinib for patients in the clinic. So this poster, Friday 0343, looked at the efficacy and safety of filgotinib in the aqua. But this used some predefined analyses to look at subgroups within the population within this trial of psoriatic arthritis. And in particular, it pulled out patients on the basis of their disease activity scores, their gender, their BMI, disease duration and severity, and exposure to different therapies, such as disease-modifying anti-rheumatic drugs, and prior to exposure to TNF inhibitors. And what this showed is that consistently filgotinib appeared effective across all subgroups. This was statistically significant in most subgroups. But remember, as we're d- dividing up groups into smaller and smaller slices, the statistics becomes more and more difficult uh, to prove. And there were no uh, clinically relevant differences across subgroups. So what's the summary of this? Well, this shows that filgotinib uh, is effective across a number of different subgroups within the equator study, and that allows us to think about how we might treat the different sorts of patients in our clinics. So thank you for listening to today's CSF's daily highlights from Eular. We hope you found these Eular highlights useful and informative. All highlights can be found on the CSF website and on various podcast platforms. In addition to these podcasts, the CSF is providing extensive coverage of ULAR 2020. You can find our full abstract search and recommendations in our highlights brochure online right now. Look out for our interviews with authors that will be available next week, as well as our overall Congress review, where we go into more detail on some of the most notable abstracts presented. As ever, everything is free to download at cytokinesignalling.com. Thanks very much.